One. What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 31 of Mana Screwed. I am Tangent. With me, as always, is Roberto. Hello, everybody. And uh, also joining us this week for the first of many, hopefully, is uh, our good friend, the most hated man in magic, Jack. I actually prefer the term professional antagonist. Oh, okay. I apologize. Is that what you're going to be wearing a t-shirt of then, <laughs> professional antagonist? Uh, I don't know. I'm actually going to try and make it into my profession of choice. But, gentlemen, there is one other guy joining us around the mic. One today. other guy. That's an understatement. And joining us tonight also, who is he, Jack? That would be the legendary article-writing, card-slinging Gavin Merhay. What is up, Gavin? Hey, my voice is a little little shot today. Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing well. My voice is a little shot today. I'm a little under the weather, but figured I'd give it my all for, uh, you know, Jack's adoring fans out there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, mean, like, I, I like to think of it as we're two really good contrasts to one another because Gavin is so classy and has such a, like, nice, pleasing voice. And then I'm, like, rolling around naked in broken glass and then rolling on top of salt that's also in the class. But, guys, this is a show that I believe is about magic. I'm not really sure. Sometimes we use potty humor to talk about it. But, I mean, maybe we have something magic-related to talk about this week, right? Yeah, that's a stretch of the imagination. I don't know. What? Uh, Beamy, do we have anything magic-related? Well, I guess we should start off with the most uh, biggest news of the week, and that's uh, uh, the Hall of Famer, uh, Hall of Fame inductee, uh, Sato being suspended for 18 months for the one thing I criticized most about people, and that's slow play or stalling. And he has been let go by Channel Fireball, and he has uh, issued, I guess you'd want to call it an apology. I don't know if that was really an apology or not, but that's just my personal opinion. And it'll be interesting. I... I've made jokes about it already, about that when they announce him for the Hall of Fame, they should, like, slow roll him and like, give him, like, two minutes to give a speech or something like that. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion on it, and I'm having fun with it. But I will ref- I will defer to our pro here and see what our pro thinks about all this. Um, I mean, it's really quite, quite a crazy occurrence. Like, um, you know, just to think... Less than a week ago, he was playing in a Grand Prix, and uh, now he's been suspended for 18 months. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, obviously, they had to rush out the announcement. World's coming up, um, and this is just such a huge deal. Like, not only is he suspended, which I think a lot of people were maybe thinking would happen, but 18 months is such a long time for someone who makes a lot of their money off of Magic. And fortunately for Saito, he is a trader. Uh, and not a T-R-A-I-T-O-R, but a T-R-A-D-E-R. Um, and he has a shop you know, a shop in Japan where he buys and sells cars and he does it at all the major events. So he can still make a living um, in that sense, but it's it's a huge hit for him. It reminds me of like what happened to Olivier well a couple of years ago, except in this instance, he is out for three times as much as Olivier is, which is gigantic. It's, you know, like if you get fired from your job and, kick out on the street, and uh, you're not allowed to get rehired. 
Now, Gavin, can I assume that? that, Sorry, can I assume that the reason why that they they it was such a drastic suspension is because he's been uh, uh, disqualified before. Is that the reason why they just immediately suspended him for this long? Would you think? Um, I think some people have definitely talked about that. The simple factor is we just don't know at this juncture. I think that probably factored into their decision. He is a second-time offender, but what you have to keep in mind is both of these offenses were 10 years ago, nine or 10 years ago. He was just a kid back then, and furthermore, the two offenses he had were so radically different from this. It's not like they were also for stalling. Respectively, they were for um, not knowing about a recent rule change about how you can't split in the top eight of Grand Prix. Uh, and that's that, and that's kind of a debatable one. The second one uh, was him just blatantly trying to fish for a game win. Um, but regardless, that was a long time ago. And I think that it's a small factor that played into the DCI's decision. But I think overall there were a lot of uh, – uh, there was just a lot of these small things that they thought about. You know, like they probably looked at his history. They probably looked at the rumblings uh, that have been about, about him lately. I'm sure they, they looked at his warning history. Um, Martin Yuzo said earlier today on Facebook – and. He, I didn't know this, but apparently uh, he was talking to Shuhei, and Shuhei had mentioned that um, Saito had recently received a game loss for his stalling. And so there's just a lot of information you don't know right now, and I think that'll become unraveled more, uh, you know, as the days go on. And the DCI will have to make an announcement. I think at, on this at some point, it's not something they can just, you know, do and then never talk about. So I think we'll hear other rationale. Maybe they'll stall. No. Yeah, it's going to drag uh, out for four years at least. <laughs> I mean, I feel like uh, they will definitely give people a heads up of what's going on before Worlds, especially because there isn't a um, there isn't a set procedure for what happens if someone who's inducted into the Hall of Fame becomes suspended. And so they have to kind of put out an article out there saying what happens. I personally feel like they're not going to let Saito in. It doesn't make any sense for me to let him in. But they have to say that there's nothing in the rules to actively address that. I think it's in that article they'll share, like, what the suspension was for. Just because it is a really high-profile suspension. You have to keep in mind, Saito was third in the player of the year race. I mean, this is just absolutely gigantic. Crap, did I lose everybody? No, we're here. No, you're still here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a nice... uh, I, 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 like, left the pause and uh, didn't hear any voices. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. It sounded like some. You all disconnected, so I wasn't saying anything at the moment. I'll edit this out. But uh, uh, one of the things. Oh God, what was I going to say? Now there was something about him. Uh, Jesus. Oh yeah. One thing I will say about the 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 DQ though, um, and or the suspension and possibly not getting into the Hall of Fame. A lot of people have said, well, he should still get in and just have an asterisk like in in baseball. Well. Two things about that. One, the people that have that, quote, asterisk usually aren't proven to be cheating before they get into the Hall of Fame. It's those people that were already in the Hall of Fame and then proven to be cheating that that have the, quote, asterisk. But in reality, there is no real asterisk that everyone talks about. It's just like a, it's something that people say, like it's a black mark. It's not literally in the record book with an asterisk next to it that says that, you know, this person was DQ'd or suspended or whatever. Um, I, I don't think that they would even insert someone who was basically a cheater into the Hall of Fame. 
Um, that's the reason why Mark McGuire's not getting in, Roger Clemens isn't getting in. It's because no one wants to vote in a cheater. So once, I mean, if, if it's before he's actually inducted, I don't see why he would get in. It's an interesting spot to put. It's an interesting spot to be in if you're them, just because of the difficulty of. It's awkward. You're at your home country, you're about to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, and you're currently suspended for 18 months. You know that's kind of like the congratulations. You've accomplished the best. You know to be one of the best ever, and congratulations. Now you're going on suspension. It's like oh. I don't know. I just think it's a very uncomfortable position, and I don't think anyone really wants to be – who wants to be the person that's there doing all that stuff for him that day? I mean, you, there's like an awkwardness to it in, in not a good way. Definitely. It's really rough. I mean, I was on the Hall of Fame committee this year, and I, I voted for Saito, and I put by far the most consideration into that vote. I did a lot of research on what he had done. A lot of research on what people have said about him. Uh, the voting happened recently after Grand Prix Columbus, uh, where he was accused of stalling in one of his matches. And uh, and I basically said in my article, look, I mean, I think he deserves the vote, but he needs to stop doing anything remotely sketchy just because he's received the game's highest honor possible. Like, he shouldn't have to do anything more. Like, he should be perfectly content with that. And the fact that this happened is a shame. Now, whether he was actually doing something suspicious or he was just caught, people have been looking at him too long and he was caught, that's another story altogether. It's hard to say. Uh, his side of the story is obviously that he wasn't cheating. But, you know, well, <clears throat> now, based on the fact that you did have you know, a vote, would you take that vote back now or would you still give him the benefit of the doubt? Um. If I knew what was going to happen, if I could, like, if, say, they gave everyone in the Hall of Fame, uh, their solution was to give everybody in the Hall of Fame a chance to recast their ballots, I would take my ballot back from Saito now. Uh, however, I am, at the time, I still feel like I made the correct decision with the information I had. Right, um, yeah. The fact that this occurred definitely tainted my view of him, especially because, like, DCI warning histories and public information and to know he had been receiving multiple infractions for this kind of thing recently um, is something that, you know, I would have taken into account had I, had I known that information, for example. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, at the time I felt like I made the right decision. Now I would revise that decision. That's cool, man. I mean, it, so who, you know, I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, hold on. So whose vote would you have moved it to? Um, I would have probably given uh, Steve Mahoney Swartz. My vote, either him or Chris Bakula. It, it was very close there at the end. I mean, I, I narrowed it down to, like, seven people. And uh, I, I, yeah, I shaved Steve off the list uh, at the very end in favor of, uh, in, you know, it's basically like, if I think Saito's a cheater, then Steve is on my ballot. Otherwise, uh, Saito's on. And, and I decided I was okay with Saito. And if, but had I not voted for Saito, I would have definitely voted for Steve. Although, ultimately, I don't think that one vote would have made a difference. If a lot of people had felt the same way, it might have been enough to push Steve into the Hall of Fame. So that's a pretty big deal. It's kind of rough. Oh, we also have one more guest on, and I apologize for not giving an introduction earlier. Um, this is our sponsor, 
and he is the current owner of Milwaukee Magic Card and Games, hopefully in the future, and current and long-term owner of it. <laughs> <laughs> unless he gets unless he gets bought out by his 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 little uh, little pet that works with him there. I'm sorry, I give Al lots of love. I'm sorry. Oh man, <laughs> I have to get out of him. I think it's I feel the type love now. Yes. You know, it's interesting that I came in just as you got. Oh. Wow, I heard that one. Am I coming through okay? Yeah. Yeah, it, from the bottom of yeah. a submarine, I think you sound pretty good. <laughs> You're okay. You're okay. Give it a try. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that that occurs to me and some of the uh, other guys that work in the shop is that. These are people that you almost have. Uh oh, we got we got the Wookiee. Oh man, <laughs> Gavin and Jack, did you guys bring the Wookiee with you? No, they, well, hold on one second. Like, um, maybe if I get, can anybody hear me? Yeah, I can hear Jack. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, everything sounds fine now. You know, Skype always seems. <laughs> I think Skype always seems to do this when there's like too many people on the line. I mean, I don't know. That's I just my you. opinion. I hear yeah. you. Yeah, we've done this for a long time, uh, back in my day. But uh, you know, uh, usually three is good. Four, you start getting a little bit of echo, and by the time you hit five, you're basically just rolling of the dice. And about every <laughs> ten seconds, like the next ten seconds. Okay, why don't we fill in with with your comments, Alan, and then we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> you were talking about the guys in the shop. Well, no, we were we were talking about this uh, this this DQ and uh, the unright with Lasato, and these are the guys that you almost by default have to hold to a higher standard than uh, than your your local players and such, just because. If, if if we turn a blind eye to this, or if we let this guy have a pass, then these guys that have really nasty infractions and rules violations, even at our level, <laughs> DCI lets him get away with that. Why can't we do this? That's some amazing sound. <laughs> This is podcasting at its best. Uh, I can drop out if you guys need. I mean, that's no problem. Well, why don't we do this, Jack? Why don't we? Why, why don't we drop you off for a minute? I'll bring you back on. So we'll see if it works with four, and then I'll bring you back on. Which is a statement he wants to make about that, and we'll see what happens. That way, we can at least record this correctly. <laughs> We'll record this right. Oh, I hey, think man, this is beautiful. It's entirely up to you. It's this or sleep. So I'm up for anything. <laughs> no, 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 just just stay with us. Just I'll I'll, okay. I'll let you know what's going on, and then I'll bring you back in when we get this corrected. All right, I'll will myself to consciousness. Yes, Good stay away. Stay awake, Jack. All right, Gavin. All right. It's like you're really on Monday Bye. Night Magic. Okay, we'll try it again. So we were talking about holding Saito to another uh, another level. Well, not not just another level, but you you have to hold these guys that are professionals to that professional standard, 
whether it's magic, baseball, whatever, because as he goes, so go other people at the local level, and then that's when you start having problems. I mean, we, we had a problem with the DQ not too long ago that we had to go back and forth with with the the rule breaker, DCI, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, at any time, these guys will tell you, well, so-and-so does this and so-and-so does this. If you get the high-profile players that are being let go on infractions and rules violations, it, it just trickles down to the local levels, and you just get more and more problems. I don't know. I'm kind of looking forward to getting my first DQ actually here coming up pretty soon. So, is is, is that looking be- forward to? Is that is that because of the thing we should not talk about? Oh, I, no! I make my own rules. I can talk. I can talk about those rules, so it's okay. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Because okay. there's another podcast that's running a contest, and one of their things is you you have to be DQ'd in a tournament in order to be eligible for one of their prizes. But you can't talk about it, so you can't know about it. Right, so, right. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. So, so uh, yeah. But, anyway, uh, the, the the one yeah. thing I would say about the about the whole thing is that. You know, whether these people get into the Hall of Fame or not, I don't think that they will. I don't think that they should. But it doesn't mean that you can't still respect and appreciate them as a player. Like like Saito, no one's going to stop thinking he's an amazing player. I mean, Mike Long is infamous for, you know, being kind of the magic bad boy. And people still, like, as many people as, go, God, that guy, you know. There are a lot of people that just look on him with, like, almost a loving memory of him because he's... Because he was amusing to people, you know. So it just it just depends on uh, on your point of view, I guess. You know, you don't he they don't have to be in the Hall of Fame to basically be legends. Well, it also depends on what you want to be legendary for. Do you want to be legendary and, and recognized because of the quality of your play and the quality of your character, or? Do you want to be recognized for being a bad boy or an asshole for for what it is that you're doing? And, and ultimately, this is a game, and people are always going to look for ways to get a leg up on a game, no matter if it's a card game or, or, or the Super Bowl or anything. It's you know if if there's a peer review system in place <laughs> for us to go ahead and 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 laud these people and 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 and, and hold these people up. Let's make sure that we're being fair about it and, and, and being being uh, even even handed about it with everyone. No arguments for me on that. I can agree with that. No, oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, it does have to be even across the board. I mean, that's that's one of the main things. So it's kind of difficult because a lot of times when people get to a certain level, you have a tendency of of treating them different because they are special and they are, you know, I mean, it, it's, and this is no knock against Gigi's Live. I love their conversion. Believe me, I enjoyed being on there. But they're not going to put on a match with, you know, two nobodies that happen to be 10 and 0, or you could pull someone like Gavin and, you know, maybe a nobody and play them because at least the people that would be watching would be interested in it. You know, so... They're... <laughs> Ooh. And then... 
<laughs> that didn't sound good, Gavin. Is it Gavin? <laughs> Wait. It's Gavin. Wait, what, what's Gavin? Now you. Now you're back. Okay. Did you hear my comment about the GG's live stuff? Yes, I did. Okay. And, I mean... Yeah, I heard that, and then you said uh, something about, it's a Gavin, and I was like, oh, hey, hey, it's a Gavin, sweet. No, no, <laughs> I didn't know what you meant. No, no, because they will pull, instead of putting two people 10 and 0 hey. on the coverage, right, right. they'll pull you... And they'll pull like if you're nine and one, they'll take you and another nine and one nobody, and at least you will draw ratings because they know who you are, you know. Yeah, so there's this really interesting um, coverage paradigm that goes on. You have to balance a lot of different things. First of all, for a lot of people, the most exciting matches aren't always the undefeated matches. They're the matches that are like you know this is their win and eat match, right? Because you know you it's like uh, you know, going to see who's going to make it, who's not. Um, also, obviously, the later the tournament goes, people will intentionally draw or whatever. Um, but the name is our huge, huge factor. I mean, I know just from doing GG's Live myself that the numbers go way up and way down depending on, on who's on screen. And so, yeah, in some senses, it is unfortunate that, that they don't take unknown people. But they do try and match it up. Uh, they really like a really popular coverage angle to take, and Bill Stark has talked to me about this before, is you have, like, the known pro or the known name versus, like, the local up-and-comer, and that way you can really cover both sides of it. You can get both angles. I agree it is rare to get, like, a local up-and-comer versus a you know, guy from FNM down the street, but it's just because when you're looking down this long list of pairings, you have to pick out a feature match, unless they're both 10 or no, in which case, you know, or whatever, in which case you might see them. It's hard to pick those games out from a list, be like, yeah, we should do these guys over, you know, a name that we recognize. So I definitely agree with you in that aspect. But but like I said, you that but that goes back to that preferential treatment again that we were talking about of players will get that treatment because of being a name. And that's what we were talking about. So that makes sense to me. Now we have also next on the list was apologize. Um Brad Nelson and LSV on Channel Fireball this week went over four cards. Uh, one of them jokingly that could be on the potential banned or restricted list. Um, obviously, the most popular one is Survival of the Fittest. And ironically, both of them agreed that it should be on the banned list. W- what's your thoughts on that, Gavin? Well, I mean, the, the, first of all, it's worth noting that by the time we do this podcast, the day has come and there is no uh, Survival is not banned. Okay. Um, and, but, I mean, there's definitely a lot of hype, a lot of discussion about it. Personally, I am perfectly content with survival being off the ban list. I think that, uh, that while it's very powerful, I think that there are ways you can answer it, and I think that it's okay for a card like that to be able to be so strong in the format. With that said, I agree that it, that it might be a little too good, um, but I think it's in that weird territory where it's very strong, plus, uh, but it's not quite at the angle where you want to ban it. It reminds me, like, maybe in a sense of, I know I'm going to make this example and people are going to yell at me, uh, but Bloodbraid Elf, right? Like, it's very strong, but at the same time, it, and it's, you know, is that, like, the peak of the format, but it's not so good that it's, you know, worth banning. I think as the format evolves, people will find more answers to it. Additionally, um, it's worth noting that the main pull of Legacy right now is for the uh, 
the Star City Open events. Mm-hmm. And so from Wizards' perspective, they can kind of watch the the games being played there, and then by the time the next banning announcement comes around in March, they can make a reevaluation for the Legacy Grand Prix. Because the Star City events, uh, open format, while there is a small trickle-down effect, uh, it's you know, kind of like cool testing grounds for them, as opposed to uh, you know letting it go on for a Grand Prix, which you know might actively hurt the image format. So, in in your opinion, do you think it'll make it through, make it to March, and then get banned? I I really think it just depends how much what we see in the Star City events. I mean, um, clearly though, they think it was at point to uh, get rid of it now, but uh, depending on what we see in the Star City. I think uh, it continues to dominate. There's a good chance it will be banned just because those kind of things, uh, you know, especially in older formats where there are so many answers available, people tend, to, wizards tend to like to get rid of them. But I do feel like there are a lot of answers in the format. And no, I'm not like a legacy aficionado. I can't just name a huge list of them off the top of my head necessarily or different decks that combat it. But I know that, you know, there are combo decks you can play, like you can play Storm, for example. Which and I'm probably you know someone's going to say that I'm wrong about this, but I'll say the storm is favored against uh, the survival decks. Um, you know all, all kinds of other like non-interactive decks that are traditionally strong against this subset of decks that you could play. I think people just have to start playing those, and as the format morphs and shifts, uh, we'll see something very different take form. Yeah, and it, it is true. It is always it's always evolving. It's always changing. It always seems like you know the, what's hot. Now, six months from now, you'll be talking about it and going, why were we playing survival? Oh, yeah, 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 because it was popular back then. Um, it's interesting because it died. Wait, wait, wait. Survival was popular? It is now. Survival of the fittest. <laughs> okay. It's, okay. It's, it's a six last event. It had six of the eight decks ran it in, in the thing. And um, it's been averaging, what, Kevin, about four Four out of the top eight. Usually, half the field has survival in the top eight, typically. Yeah, and then not only the top eight, but as you extend down to the top sixteen, there's just been you know. Okay. Uh, note note to self, Skype not transmit sarcasm well. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's quite all right. Oh, just no, pretty much any time I open my mouth, realize it's sarcasm. Then so. <laughs> But 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 I have a I have a, a couple of questions right away since since we got you here, uh, and since you do deal and trade in cards and other things like oh that. God. Yes, we are RPG dot we are RPG dot com on eBay, other things like yep. that. Now, yep. this set, as far as moving cards in and out, I okay. are people selling more? Are people trying to? I mean, because it seems like right now you're not. There's not a large influx of cards coming in because there's only like a handful of cards that are worth any serious money. Right. Well, I, we see the same activity with the release of almost every set. We see a lot of back and forth trading early on as people are trying to settle down and get exactly what they want. Um, you know, people are buying a ton of packs initially, so they're getting a lot of what they consider chaff. So they're they're going back and forth and, and trading and selling and trading and selling and turning over. Uh, and then when you get closer to the end of a of a cycle, 
that slows down, and that's when we see the legacy players and the standard players start to kind of move in and, and pick up the, the choice bits that are left over. Now, it doesn't help that worlds are coming up, so we've got a lot of card prices that are going up on speculation, and we've got a lot of people who are holding on to things and speculation of what they're going to be worth after worlds. Um, uh, GP Atlanta did a little bit of uh, gaminess with uh, card prices for us, both online and in the shop. Um, but as of late, I would say this block has been maybe fickle's not the right word, but very volatile in the way that the card prices uh, and, and the cycle of buying and selling have been moving back and forth. Um, not not a not a bell curve, just sort of a steady slope downward. And in in the closer in the closer and closer we we get to end of uh, January, we'll, we'll see that trend you know peak slightly because people will want to get in their last minute picks, and then it'll start over again. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but that you but you talk about. So, if out of the three planeswalkers right now in the current the current set, which ones are they selling more? Are they which ones of the three are being sold more to you right away? That they're just saying, I don't want this. Just give me money for it. Well, for some reason, costs are turning over like crazy. Hmm. Like I'll. I'll, I'll see those come in weekly. And, and the same with Jace. Jace is a love it or hate it type of planeswalker. And that it's, it's a revolving door. They, they come in, they come out, they come in, they come out. Um, but those would be, those would be the two big ones that, that, uh, that, that, that come to mind. And then you've, but at the same time, you know, you've got other rares that, you know, we couldn't keep Vengevine in stock for for quite some time, and now we we seem to have a veritable garden of them. Um, or something is, uh, you know, any of the Titans. Titans were were uh, were moving really quickly for us for a while, uh, and and now again, that's just sort of slowed off. And then I'm saying all this at the same time I'm I'm selling really bizarre things like well, I shouldn't say bizarre but things that you wouldn't think would be so popular like selling lightning bolts and fireballs like mad again because people are looking for quick turn and burns. Wow, that's pretty crazy. It, it, the heart wants the heart wants. Oh no, that's cool. It's just with with M10 and M11 not to mention the history of those cards you'd think that would Probably, I don't know, they'd be looking for Memnites or something. The, you know, uh, I, I have the, the conversation on a daily basis with people coming in. What, what are the, what are the effects we're looking for? What are, what are the cards we're looking for? And no matter what kind of a conversation you have with the customer over what you see people playing or what people are talking about playing, they always just want to go for the turn and burn. It's it's quick, it's easy, it's easy to build something around, and as long as you don't get mana screwed, uh, um, there you go. Yeah, 
As long as you don't get <laughs> man screwed, there's very little. There's very little you're going to screw up in playing it. It is interesting. Like I said, I've. <laughs> I'm just getting. I think it's. I think it's me. Um, it is interesting because you see, like today, that uh, um, one of the cards that went up was a cost today, and mm-hmm. I was monitoring it. And at the end, it went like up nine bucks in the last three minutes. Like, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Everybody well, well, has been Yeah, but that's just eBay. And that's, that's just eBay sniping at its finest. I mean, you don't see any bids on, on a lot of the higher ticket cards until the last hour or so. You know, people watch it and then they know when it's going. Hmm. That's. that's it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic because eBay's offered, you know, it offers car dealers such an opportunity to get out there and just, you know, get product, you know, move product that may or may not be accessible to move. And absolutely, you know, it, it's it's a lot of it's it's a challenge though because there's a lot of competition out there. But there also is. Oh, there's a ton of competition. There's a ton of competition. And even with the hundreds of thousands of people selling cards or selling collections on eBay, you've still got basically five people on eBay that, that control the card market. And we're not one of the five. So, um, we all sort of just just follow follow their lead and follow what they tend to do in price. And to a lesser extent, I think of a lot a lot of the uh, online card dealers that aren't on uh, eBay uh, do much the same because eBay is such a presence for dealing anymore. I mean, it's it's been good for us. We would we would use it or continue to use it for us. Gavin has made contact with aliens. <laughs> but no, I understand what you're saying about that. But speaking of interesting news that just came out that does affect you, um, yeah, yes, Gavin, would you like to talk about what uh, Magic uh, the Wizards website has just released? Um, sure. Uh, basically, so. Uh, for those astute readers out there, our listeners, as I suppose we all are, uh, it just the time just clicked over to 9 p.m. here on uh, Monday, December 1st, but it's now Monday, December 2nd on the East Coast, which means that the Wizards website has updated. And the rumored EDH announcement Elder, for Elder Dragon Highlander has been put out there, and there's some pretty exciting new stuff that's happening in the next year. Uh, so... There's been a lot of good multiplayer products in the last couple of years. You've had Plane Chase, Arc Enemy, Dual Decks. Um, and so in the next year, they're going to focus on releasing these Commander Decks. Um, they're going to be they're releasing five different 100-card Singleton Decks at about uh, $35 each, or that that's the suggested retail price. We all know how, how that goes, but I imagine this should be better than from the vaults. Um, and plus, and uh, so each deck will contain uh, three oversized cards, too, that you can use as your commander, which is kind of cool. But the really neat thing is that there are 51 brand-new cards, not like reprints, not like, you know, we're going to be crafty and, uh, I don't know, re- 
you know, redo some alpha card or whatever. These are 51 brand new cards spread across five decks that you've never seen before and are made with multiplayer in mind. For a long time, Wizards has been trying to, you know, push these cards into sets. Um, but, you know, there's no real spot for them because they just don't appeal to a wide audience. But here we can finally have some cards made specifically for Elder Dragon Highlander. And they even give us two preview cards. Uh, and uh, does anyone want to take the preview cards? Otherwise, I will. Well, hold, hold on real quick. I just want to jump in here. So you said the, the, the commanders are oversized? Uh, so they uh, they contain 100 card decks, um, which I assume include the normal commander, but they also contain three foil oversized commanders. That's just kind of a cool thing, I guess, to come along with it. Oh, okay. I was uh, going to say that'd make know, Condemn interesting. No, no, they do have the uh, the extra one. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, they came out June seventeenth, two thousand eleven. By the way. Anyway, why don't you guys take the uh, the two preview cards that came out today? Because they're actually kind of exciting and pretty cool for the format. Well, the one I saw was a card called Death by Dragons. It's four and two red to sorcery. Each player, other than target player, puts a five-five red dragon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. That's the first one I saw on there. Um, I missed the other one. What's the other one, Gavin? Uh, so the other one, which is previewed on the official Commander website, mtgcommander.net, and it's called Carador Ghost Chieftain. It is five black, green, white, um, which is worth noting because in the uh, article is that they said that they felt you know there just weren't enough three-color wedge legends to build around, and, and so they're creating more for these decks. So this guy is Doran Colors, five black, green, white. It is a legendary creature, Centaur Spirit, and it is a 3-4, but it has the ability that it costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. And during each of your turns, you may cast one creature card from your graveyard. So you can play them out cheaply, and you can continually cast cards uh, that are creatures from your graveyard. Uh, it's worth noting, because I didn't uh, mention this earlier, that these cards are not legal in standard. Or extended, you don't worry about picking them up for them. But they are legal in Vintage and Legacy, so to, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there were one or two that were just barely good enough to sneak into a tournament play that we might see uh, coming up. That's that's a sick commander because it doesn't even stipulate like at the beginning of your turn or anything. It says during each. So as soon as he comes into play, you can automatically play a creature from your graveyard. Yeah, and, and his ability is often too, because, you know, in a normal game of Magic, it only ever reduces cost by five, but in EDH, you know, as the game goes longer, he'll be cheaper to cast even if they keep killing him, just because it'll count toward his extra uh, general cost reduction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. So as a dealer, what do you think of this? Well, it's interesting such a move such a really obvious move towards the EDH crowd you know format that that they have that they have said so and not so loudly that they were never really going to support um, so it's it's interesting to see to see something that is it really is an obvious move and you got to think that to a certain extent this is something of just a fan service mea culpa move um, with some of the uh, 
less popular decisions and calls that Watsi and the DCI has made over the past year. This seems to be a little bit of a uh, we're sorry type of thing. Um, we Since we enjoy a lot of EDH players locally, I think these will be interesting to uh, to pick up. But let's see. Hopefully this isn't just a one-and-done release like uh, we've seen with the other multiplayer formats. Well, the only thing is, is EDH is, like, it's it's got, EDH has a very, I don't want to say religious cult following, but it is. Oh, it, it's a cult. It's a cult, no, no question. Because, you know, the people who play EDH <laughs> regard it as the format and the way magic should be played. If you're not playing magic this way, then you're not playing magic. Oh. So, it's a cult. <laughs> That's cool. I'll drink the Kool-Aid. There you go. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, is something like this can be, you know, especially with those cards, I mean, like the, I mean, to play, a lot of people don't play black, green, white. It's black, green, red. Mm-hmm. And to have a, you know, to have your commander actually to offer white instead of a red option, I think it would be fascinating because you could build a, a deck and spin off of that so, you know, and uniquely from it, I think it's I think it's fascinating. I'd be I'm hopefully looking forward to seeing what the rest of the commanders that they're releasing are. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But that's the media, Gavin. What were you going to say about it? Oh, I was just going to make uh, about the nature of EDH. I was just going to say that uh, EDH is definitely a cult because uh, basically, as a developing Magic player, you uh, you hit your stride where you have a basic idea of what exists. And then you hit this path. You can either go down the dark, corrupt path of EDH, where you never get to play in tournaments and, and you know, go on the Pro Tour, or you get to go toward the Pro Tour side, uh, which is also, I suppose, dark and corrupt. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like there's this branch. And uh, I mean, obviously there are people who do both, like Sam Black, for example, plays a lot of EDH, and he's also a Pro Tour player. But in my little area, I always find it's funny, because you know, I can see these players rising up, and they play for, you know, six months in local tournaments and, and uh, you know, tune their skills. And I can just see the moment where they have to choose, and they feel like they have to go one way and leave the other behind forever. Um, but that uh, EDH is great. I think this product is awesome for the game. I love the multiplayer releases they've been doing lately. And this is a way that's not only good for them, because this is going to sell out. It's going to generate a ton of sales. But it's also just interesting. Releasing more bonus cards into the game is great. More cards from multiplayer is great seems like a total win-win to me. And if they're going to do a multiplayer release anyway, you might as well just do this. So that will be interesting because I know, I know at least, you know, by us that when this does come out and this releases and if they have a release party, I, it will be very well attended. That, that I have no doubt about. And it should be very interesting. I mean, you could almost run commander deck tournaments off of it. I mean, it'd be a little pricey, but yeah, it, that's that's kind of what it sounds like. I again, I think that you know, unfortunately, we've gotten a little gun shy, um, or I should say, the player base has gotten a little gun shy on the multi card on the multiplayer formats because they have been one and dones, and you know, what is worth investing in, what is worth jumping into if they're just going to make this a, a, a one-release series. So it'll be interesting to see how compelling the commanders are to pick up on 
um, and what sort of play they're really going to support. If, if, if they are that, that amazing and if they are that fun to, to, to knock around with, then definitely, I can definitely see this being a big one for, for us and for the game in general. Well, that's cool. But that was the breaking news from the the mothership web, website, and outside of a, outside of another article from Mike Flores, uh, that's the pretty much the um, type top of the today's articles. Now we also have back here. Um, there was an article written on by Wrong Way Go Back. That's a person on Twitter on his website about changing the DCI system, and this is kind of relevant, and it's a good thing we have Gavin on to answer this question. Um, he suggests that the current DCI system, and it's proven, penalizes the pro that actually wants to play Magic, mm. and he suggests changes to it to see if there's a way of updating the system not to penalize the person who is really good from playing a lot of Magic. Gavin, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I am a gigantic proponent against the current rating system. And it's really interesting because a lot of discussions started earlier this year, seemingly out of nowhere. I don't know what triggered it or what sparked it. But um, people started talking about it. And there's some articles written earlier this year on various websites. And this is just another in the long line of them. And the fact of the matter is that uh, the rating system is set up very poorly for Magic. Um, there's a lot of reasons for this. But basically the problem is, the biggest problem I feel, is that it can actively penalize you for playing Magic. Uh, Absolutely. Hit the, high, hit the high ratings you need to qualify for a Pro Tour or get lots of buys at Grand Prix. You know, you need to be in like 2,000 range or whatever. But the only time that most players end up in that range is if they just like won a PTQ or made top 16 of a Grand Prix anyway. So those qualifications often, you know, aren't as relevant. Uh, and furthermore... There are, are, you know, you don't want to play a tournament because you don't want to hurt your rating, right? Like, I would love to go out and play FNM every week, but it's a ratings black hole. If I lose one match, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'll just down DCI ratings points. And when you're scrounging for, you know, five points to pick up, you know, your bias or your entries or whatever, that's a huge deal. It's very hard to justify doing. Uh, a good rating system does not penalize pleasure playing the game. Uh, there have been a lot of suggested implementations, and... I know that Wizards has been taking a very close look at the rating system, and I would actually expect there to be uh, some, some changes sometime uh, in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, this is what we have to deal with right now. I agree it is bad, and you, have, you just have to make the most of it with what you have. And uh, I look forward to the day when it has changed. So, Tanja, what about the fact of your DCI rating on uh, Moto, since you are a Moto player? Marshall Marshall talked about that from limited resources say that his his DCI rating in Moto and his uh regular one are identical. And he talked about that being ironic and that's almost how, unheard of. It's so ironic. I mean, yes. that's yeah, that doesn't happen very often. But how does that how does that affect someone like you cuz you are a Moto player? And let's say they change the system to make it more advantageous for someone like yourself, to who is a who is a heavy player on moto, and not to get penalized as much for playing. I mean, it, it only it only helps the game that someone like Gavin, who who loves to play Magic, 
is able to not get penalized to go to an F&M, maybe play with somebody who is on the way up and be able to sit there and go, you know, look at this, look at this, look at this, and get advice from him when he would never get it otherwise. I mean, you know, it, it it's interesting. It's interesting. Okay, I, I, I must have missed the question in there for me, though. What was the question that you were actually asking me? Is I'm sorry, Chewbacca's getting in the way of me hearing you. So. I feel like I'm being shot. Um, <laughs> no, it, in reality, if the system changes and it's less like the current chess system right. and more of it rewards you for playing more, yeah. would that not incentivize you to play more? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'll play more anyway, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I would think that that if people had, th- there are people that don't play because they're afraid of hurting the rating, and, you know, there's there's a lot of, of I, I don't know, there's a lot of people that, that are, get really bothered about the rating. There's other people that just don't care about it at all. You know, there are a lot of people that play that, that say, hey, you know, I, I know I have a decent rating because I win a lot, but I don't really care because the rating really doesn't mean much of anything. It can mean some buys, but, you know, some people already have the buys and they don't have to worry about the rating. It just, to me, it would be cool. Uh, but I've, I've also kind of come to the realization that your rating does not necessarily tell you a lot. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's cool for pride's sake. But I don't go into something saying, oh, man, that guy's got a higher rating than me, so I'm going to lose. Mm. You had a comment on this, Alan? Let me go on record as a small retail outlet of saying I hate, 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 hate the current DCI rating system. Um I feel that it is, it was at one point a marvelous carrot on a stick and it continues to be held as such, but they keep extending that rope just a little bit more and the stick gets just a little bit longer as the really dedicated players get closer and closer to that Magic 2000 or whatever it is that they need. Um, we see it as a detriment because if, uh, you know, if if you know that coming to FNM every week is a losing proposition, well, why are you going to FNM at all? And that, then you see FNM numbers fall. And on the inverse, um, hey, this guy has got a 950 rating. I don't want to play him. And you've got people leaving FNM because they don't want to play higher rated players all of a sudden uh, on a night that should be a little bit more about luck and and fun more than it should be about cutthroat skill. So the current system, just much like the BCS, just needs to be tore out and just mutilated and removed. It should be burned, chopped, buried, and the ground should be salted so nothing ever grows on that spot again. Um, I read the article in question, and I like the I like the uh, – proposal in theory and we know something is changing we know the dci is changing something but like all things they're they're holding their cards rather close to their chest on this one and they're not really letting anybody 
get a sneak peek of what they could be planning. Well, like I said, I hope I hope they make changes. I hope they make it more advantageous so that, like you, like I said before, that people want to play. I mean, the whole thing about it is we play the game because we love it and it's a lot of fun. And to mm-hmm. have to have it pulled away from people because they have to worry about losing, you know, 20 points off of playing one game, I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't know. I And, and that was well-spoken as someone from Wisconsin who's watching the Badgers get screwed out of a national championship game because of the BCS. <laughs> if we had playoffs, true. if we had if we eight, had playoffs, if we had playoffs, if we had top eight, Badgers all the way, baby. Yes. yes. Absolutely. So, all right. Then we also have... Oh, this is another one for, uh, for a tangent. Uh, changes to Magic Online Weekend Challenges. Uh, oh. They're changing the way they're done. Does that affect, because with the 100 card singleton and other thing like that, how does that affect how you will, do you play those? No, yes, maybe? Um, well, I, okay, I, I do play Weekend Challenges, but what? Weekend chat. What do you mean that I I haven't heard that any changes are going to be made. The uh, I thought I assumed when you started talking about Magic Online, you were going to say something about the ten ticket uh, queues or something. I, what what's the uh, no, no. weekend changes? Give me a second to lo- let me load up the article quick. Great fill things here. Do, 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 do. Come on, let's go. Uh, okay. Gavin, do you know Magic what that Online. is? Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, what they're having is a classic daily event, which is a 100-card singleton daily event. Uh, Friday, they're having a classic daily event, uh, along with uh, a 100-card singleton daily event, a popper daily event, and a standard singleton daily event. And on Saturday, they have the 100-card singleton, a uh, popper premier event, a standard singleton, and a classic daily event. And then on Sundays, they're having a popper event, a singleton event, a classic event, and a 100-card singleton. The, it's just they talk about the time slots being where they're at now. Like oh, the changing. The first one for you would be at 5 a.m. on Friday. Uh, no problem. Right before work. That'll be amazing. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so what, what, I mean, so basically you're just wondering whether or not the time changes bother me? Yeah, because, I mean, it will let you play now. For you, that would normally be, let's see, the 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time would be a standard singleton daily event is what they're offering on Friday. Yeah. And I mean I you know, it's cool. I it there's always something going on. More tournaments is better. If they increase the number of tournaments, that's great. If they change the times, it doesn't matter too much unless you had a certain specific one that you wanted to play because there is always daily events and premier events going on on Magic Online. So it's not I mean unless you just are dead set in only playing uh, M11 sealed deck tournaments, then you know, or you know, one specific type of tournament. There's always magic to be found, so I really it it doesn't bother me too much if they change it up. The only thing that I think that I would like them to get something a little less crazy for is the online PTQ schedule, which can just fluctuate so insanely on the times that it is. It's like one one weekend I could be. You know, sitting at a nice seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning tournament. The next weekend it might be three, and then the next weekend it might be three in the afternoon. It just, 
yeah, it it just fluctuates so much, it gets a little crazy. But and I understand it's because other people are in different parts of the world. I'm just saying they should really be on my time. Yeah, there you go. Now, Gavin, do you play a lot of uh, Moto Online? Um, the amount of uh, Magic Online I play varies, but in general, I would probably say yes. I mean, I I try and play in the online PTQs when a major constructive tournament is coming up. I do a lot of play testing online. So yeah, I would say that I do. Of course, I draft online. So. Okay. Now, now there's been a lot of debate over this, and I guess I have never asked you is. Moto Online, how much has that helped your game just get better because of the amount of drafts you can do? Um, well, assuming that uh, the trash is, is loosely defined as thrashing my opponents at Magic, then yes. Um, wait, sorry, what was that? I just wondered how, how much Moto's improved your game. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like, I was going to get there. Uh, it has improved it uh, significantly. Like, um, it's amazing how much being able to play whenever you want will make you a better player because you get to play against the best players in the world constantly, uh, assuming you're playing in the right cues and you get to see how they play. You have to put your skills up against theirs. And you can just, you know, get in your 10,000 hours of play and just go through all the motions. You can go back and watch your games using the replay feature, which I think is probably the most underrated thing on Magic Online. I know whenever I lose, I'll go back and use the replay feature to watch my game and see what I could have changed to win the game. And in almost every game, there's something I could have done done differently to at least, you know, given me a chance to win the game. Um, and obviously the tournaments are great, like, you know, premier events, et cetera, just give you a lot of great opportunities to play Magic. You have all the cues you can play all the time. I mean, if I wanted to, I could just, you know, sit in, you know, my room the entire day and just play Magic online. And, you know, I get a lot better playing those times. But I've noticed the times where I'm, Doing better at Magic are often the times where I'm playing more Magic, and Magic Online allows you to do that. Okay. Now we're going to push forward to our next topic, which is Worlds. Worlds is in eight, seven, eight days now? Uh, eight days. Um, who do you think is going to do well, Gavin? Um, and I assume you think that now with uh, Sato out, that uh, Nelson will hold on to POI and stuff like that? I mean, definitely ruining Saito makes it all the harder for Nelson to pick up uh, first player of the year. Although, I mean, so Paulo's in second at uh, 48 points right now. And without Saito, uh, Martin Uza's at uh, 47th and third behind him. Um, you know, I, I think it's really hard to say Brad's not going to get the player of the year title here. It is possible, but usually these things work out. I think Brad will have a reasonable finish. I'm sure he's putting a lot of work into this uh, into this tournament. So, yeah, I'd say it's probably likely Brad's going to win. I think what, what's really interesting is figuring out who's going to end up at second, too. Uh, I mean, you have Paulo at 48 points, Yuza at 47, Shuhei at 44. I mean, uh, there's a neck and neck race there. Yeah, isn't as there... As far as the players that are going to... Yeah, yeah, isn't there, like, another group that's, like, in the upper 30s, too? Isn't there, like, a large group of, like, 8 to 10 people, like, in the upper 30s that, if they do really well, could potentially jump to second, I believe? Isn't that, am I not correct on this? I, I, don't, I just remember I saw the list over there, and I just saw this large group in that early 40s and to, like, low 30s section where there was just, like, a significant amount of people there. So I was wondering, uh, if, is, do you think that's possible or no? Or Yeah, I mean, I also don't have the uh, the pro point totals in front okay. of me at this moment. Okay. Um, although I'll uh, 
I'll pull up. Uh, I'm trying to pull them up right now as as we speak. But I, I I do remember there being that little grouping that you're talking about. Yeah, I remember like isn't Jerry Thompson like in the mix there also? A bunch of those so. you know players. Yeah, a bunch of those players who've been doing well recently. Yeah. So who do you think is going to do well? I won't ask you who you think is going to win because that's almost like picking a lottery ticket. But uh, who do you think is going to really do well this weekend or next weekend? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think the obvious answer is probably Brad Nelson. Um, I feel like Brad's going to really do well. I feel like Paulo's going to do well. I feel like all the players that you would expect to do well at a major tournament will probably have a decent performance. I think what's more interesting to look at is the kind of players who have had, like, an up-and-down year. You know, maybe the, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe, like, the Brian Kiblers of the world, or it's, it's hard to call Kibler's performance up-and-down, but, you know, <laughs> Brian Kibler, Kyle Bogomis, uh, like, these players who are, you know, maybe not, like, making top 16 of every tournament, but, you know, have these big swinging finishes. I think it's cool to see where they're going to finish, because, you know, for them, like, they're really trying to get, you know, the next pro level, hit top 50, qualify for, you know, uh, you know, another pro tour next year, whatever they're trying to do. Um, usually the, the best players, like the, you know, like the, the Brad Nelsons of the world, will probably end up doing uh, uh, pretty well, I would imagine. Sometimes they flunk out. You all have to remember, at, uh, in Austin last year, Brad went 0-4 drop. But for the most part, I would uh, – I would count on as doing good. It's always fun to watch Worlds because the wide variety of formats just leads to so many things. I really hope Conley was does good. I'm a big Conley fan. Well, so. I, I think we all are a big Conley fan. But I'm going to give you the list quick since you were right there. Uh, LSB has 42 points, and that puts him six behind. Uh, Wannabe is at uh, 42. Key was at 39. Wannabe, uh-huh. did you say? Uh, Watana. I can't pronounce his <laughs> name. I'm not an English major. I know, man. I just like uh, giving you a hard time. Yeah. Former player of the year. He's up it there. It is, however, your native tongue. Yes, it is. Uh, there's a large group of between 39 and let's say we'll go down to um, 34, which would be Sam Black, and 35 would be Josh Utterlayton. There's a large group of them that are within that group of potentially being top five in player of the year. So, in reality, if you're not within six, of second, you probably can't make that jump to two. Is that about right, Kevin? Uh, yeah, and I mean, you also have to keep in mind that that relies on Paulo having a horrible finish, also. So, I mean, yeah, but yes, I, I agree with with that, with that idea. Okay, so yeah, so it's basically between uh, Paulo and uh, Juza and LSV. Uh, to determine who the top two will be. It's interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and you said Keebler having an off year. Or Keebler having an off year, he is seventh right now. <laughs> so I guess... Yeah, I mean, it, I mean it, it, Keebler's having a very good year, yeah. but it just his results have been, have been very swingy. You know, he'll go from, you know, like there's that run over the summer where he was just making, you know, top eight of two Grand Prix in a row, or, or you know, one, one Grand Prix, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he made top eight of some pro tours, but there are other events where he's just not finishing at all. So it's really interesting to see how the players with that wide swing of variance always do, and that's what makes some of the tournament coverage so exciting to watch. Because, I mean, you almost feel like you just know that, like, the Gabriel Nassif is going to walk in with the sweet deck and make, you know, top 64 or anything inducted into the Hall of Fame, right? Like, it'd be hard to not imagine that world. Uh, but it, it's cool to follow the, the stories that you're not sure about how we're going to 
And for you, Conley was fans, he's currently tied for 21st at 31 points. So Yeah, Conley's uh, second pro tour of the year did not treat Conley well. I tried. I tried telling him to not play his, his abomination of a deck, but it uh, did not go so well. Uh, who, does, who does Conley listen to outside of himself? He's got that little voice in the back of his head that tells him, I make these great decks. These will work. Don't trust me. I know this. So <laughs> I've gotten – I've talked Conley into a couple – things when I've been working with him. Um but I agree, you know, he is covering the stats. I think uh I think Jordy Tate put it best well in one of uh, a tweet about Conley. Conley would go would drive off a cliff in his car and then say he lost an all in bluff against gravity. Uh you know <laughs> it it happens. Uh I agree that uh it's difficult to uh to convince sometimes, but to be fair, sometimes you don't need to convince you when you're you know, just keep playing these crazy rogue decks and keep doing well. So, and you can't you can't argue with his results on the first day of sealed events. I mean, you know, nine one and ten zero and his last two, so nineteen and one combined, and then you know, be the number one seed going into the finals. I mean, that had to be interesting uh, for you to see to see Conley one, Gerard two, and then Jerry T. I think he was five or six or something like that to uh, be able to sit there and realize that, yeah, I know all three of those guys. And it, it, how interesting is it for you at watching, watching the world's coverage when you see the list and you see the list of names up there and you see the people that you are really close to doing really well? I mean, how does that, from a pro's perspective, watching another, another great pro play, how does it feel to see someone you know right there in a main a world's turret like this? It's actually, it's really interesting you bring that up because it's evolved a lot in the past couple of years. I mean, it used to be, you know, two, three years ago that these, these names, they're just, you know, words on a page. And I mean, I knew who they were. I knew the personalities. But when I was watching the coverage, you know, there's people everyone hears about. But in the past, in the past year, year and a half, I've been, you know, going to a lot more tournaments. I've been doing, um, I, I, I've been doing reasonably, and I've been hanging out with, more importantly, hanging out with a lot of these people, and I know them a lot now. And so it's like, you know, it's less like looking at the standings, being like, oh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, I don't know, the the Patriots are doing well today, right? Pick some sports team. Because, you know, you don't really know those people, you just know the team. But uh, these are actually your friends now. So, like, I look at, I look at the world standings, I look at, you know, how Grand Prix goes, and I can be happy for them. I mean, at Grand Prix Nashville, I was there, and you know, it was great seeing some of my great friends just, you know, rise up to the top eight of the tournament. Um, like, for example, Ari Lax made top eight of that event, and uh, he's been my friend for, you know, five years. We play, both played back in the JSF, uh, you know, back in 2004, 2005. And, you know, we were friends back then, and it's great to see him break through now. I mean, it's, I talked a lot with Conley Woods before he made any breakout on the Pro Tour, and it's just great for him to continually do so well. And I think that's such a gigantic strength. I mean, and it's so fun to be able to hang out with these people. Because for me, the events are about the people. The magic is important. It's great. That's, that's, that's you know, what brings us together. But it's the people that keeps you coming back. Uh, and back to Conley, I think, uh, speaking of the, the 9-1-10-0 thing at, uh, at the last two Grand Prix, it's really interesting because when I walked over to Conley at the last Grand Prix in Nashville, uh, he was convinced that that was awful. Um but, you know, he has the skill to do it. It just shows you sometimes, like, how much skill there can be in a game of magic. 
Well, it's, it, that's always good to know because, you know, I, when I was up in Toronto, it was like I said, it was interesting just to see how you guys are all like this. It's like this brotherhood, and it was really, really interesting. So um, I, I, I really enjoyed it a lot personally, So, but that's just me. Um, I'm going to have Tangent talk here about a good friend of ours of the show, uh, another off uh, the A-Team podcast. Uh we were, we were just talking about Conley, and it's ironic because in many ways his deck-building style, I believe, in right now is a lot like Conley's was three-plus years ago. You know, oh, you mean he, he takes shit the, and turns it into gold? Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So wh- why don't you go run with this tangent and, and, and give some love to our friend on the A-team. Well, our our friend on the A-team would be Smitty, who just got through with his own show talking to Jerry T. And uh, and Jerry T surprisingly threw him some props knowing about his green-white tokens deck and all that. So that was pretty sweet. But, yeah, Smitty's been designing some decks that have been getting a lot of love. They've been mentioned in articles. They've, uh, they've been getting played by... A decent number of people, and he puts those those decks up on 60 cards for people to check out and to evaluate and to make fun of. And uh, but no, really though, most of them um, are worth a look. Some of them are better than others, of course. Uh, but he's he's recently made a couple that are are really really solid, and he deserves a lot of props for that because being truly innovative is pretty rare these days um most people even that are that are kind of innovators in a way usually are modifying you know like even jerry t for instance admits that he he basically tweaks decks to make them perform better he doesn't necessarily completely innovate from scratch and smitty for the most part designs something that no one else is designed. I mean, the green-white tokens is, was pretty original. The uh, His caca, the fact he's even throwing that into a deck, and he's adamant that it's such a good card that it's worth playing. And, you know, he, he made the deck better around it. You could probably take Kaldatha Phoenix out of the deck, and it wouldn't perform any worse. But, but it it works well in the deck, so... He's right on being able to make things work. You know, he he sets his mind to something, and and like Conley, uh, basically has said in the past, he will take something and he will run with it, and he will try and figure out every single thing he can before he scraps it and says it's just not going to going to work. But you know, he he keeps trying and trying to make it work before he just gives up on it. And sometimes you have to give up on things too, but but I think Smitty's been doing a really good job making making decks, working really hard and they've been performing really well in the queues, they've been performing really well at events. It's uh it's it's awesome. He plays on MTGO all the time, so get a hold of Smitty, check out 60cars.com. He's on online as Smitty with uh sevens for T's. So, Gavin, uh, what kind of designer are you? Are you a tweaker? Are you a original designer? What do you think? What What is your deck building style? Uh, I would definitely say 
I mean, for a very long time, all I could do was tweak decks. Um, and that was like my strength, like building from scratch. It was, was, I mean, I'd do it, but nothing would ever come of it. Um, but people would hand me, you know, a deck to work on and I could really, you know, fix the small things, make it great, tune the small pieces. But, uh, ironically, since I started working with Conley on decks, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, I've been like getting a lot better at making my own decks and also just like with writing my articles on Star City Games and, you know, being more involved in the scene, like I've just got a lot of more confidence in my own abilities. And I think that's something a lot of players just don't have. Like, because I built decks for a long time, and I just like wasn't confident enough to run them in tournaments. You know, like major tournaments like PTQs, FNM, whatever. But uh, at like PTQ, like it takes a lot of guts to be like, you know what? I built this deck. I've played, you know, 50 or 60 games with it. The results are good. I'm going to play this. Because it's so much easier to look at something else, but like this has this, this has the proven results. This has already won, you know, ten PTQs or whatever, right? Um, but I've started to pick up that confidence, and that's just such a huge boon. And, and Conley really helped me with that because, uh, to be honest, Conley just builds a lot of his decks like without even playing a game with them at the day before the tournament, and you know, he goes undefeated or whatever. And I know that uh, I think a lot of people, I think there are a lot of potential Conleys out there in the world that just don't um, don't have the confidence in themselves. And uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd say I've been becoming more of a deck builder uh, in the past like year or so, but I'd still say that I'm probably better at tweaking that. Now, has Conley ever, you know, lent you his baby powder so you could, you know, get all prepared for the tournament or anything? Just to, you know, have that fresh feeling? I mean, I, I, mean, I have been in his room and seen him uh, with it. However, I have not <laughs> actually touched it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding, man. Yeah, you talked, we talked about that with Conley about uh, this week about the fact of joking about doing Skype video instead of doing it on uh, on uh, audio, and that was that brought us back to the story of Conley saying, "I'm going to actually do one of these from the shower," and that would be our luck. Is that the week he would do it? He would do the show from the shower, and we we, we don't need to have people do that in the show for that for us. That's just no. <laughs> That would make Monday Night Magic a little weird. Not that it's already not a little weird to begin with, but, you know, it would make it way over the top. Well, especially now that you're on it, you know. Well, I'm not on it all the time. <laughs> no, I meant that it's I'll weird. Some of it. But, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, well, let's go to, let's go to decks for playing. Now, obviously, um, Gavin, what are you are you willing to talk about what you're running in standard, or is that a secret hush hush tech tech thing? Well, uh, I would love to tell you about what I'm playing in standard if oh. I was playing anything in standard at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, like I, I'm not really uh, testing a lot of standard right now. I mean, I've been uh, I've been doing some work for Star City Games uh, on writing some standard based articles. Yeah. And so I played some uh, blue-black, uh, some of the, the Nick Spagnuolo's blue-black control deck, and also uh, I played a bunch of the mono-black vampires deck. That deck's a lot of fun. Well, um, I was going to ask about that real quick. Sorry for interrupting your thought there. Nick yeah. has been on fire at these Star City Games events. I mean, like when he shows up, it's almost like he's going to top eight it, period. Is this Is this the next step for him to just, go from the Star City game tournaments and commit to a full-time pro run or do you think he 
do you think he'll stay maybe another year? Because Star City Games right now, with what you guys are offering, I mean, literally, you could you could play almost every weekend and make a good living at it if you're really good like Nick is or like yourself. Um, is this something that you think he'll do, or do you think he'll make the jump? Uh, well, I mean, I know Nick has been showing up to the Grand Prix. For example, I talked with him at Nashville. And so he, he's making an effort. The problem, of course, with the, with the Star City tournaments is that uh, they did, you know they're not connected with uh, the Pro Tour. So doing well at a Star City tournament doesn't necessarily mean that you qualify for uh, for Pro Tour. So it's difficult to train that way, although the rating you get from doing well at the tournament does help. But, I mean, I definitely think Nick is the real deal. Like, I, I am expecting to have some breakout finishes soon. He's just been on a tear, and he's been not only playing well, but innovating decks to play, too. And those are two gigantic things that uh, are a good mix for any kind of up-and-coming player. And I think we'll not only see him doing well in the Star City Games Open Series in the next year, but also I definitely think we'll see him doing well on the Grand Prix circuit and any pro tours he qualifies for as well. And, and now you say you know Nick. How long have you known him? Um, well, I, I don't really know him that well. Oh. Uh but the, the weird thing about Grand Prix is uh, the Magic community is a strange place. Um, no way, up, dude. And, <laughs> and yeah, and you'll, wait, wait, wait. you'll talk about the, the Magic public. community is a strange place. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that one. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, so you show up to a Grand Prix, right? And there's just always people you meet. Like, I, I just know hundreds and hundreds of people. Some people I'll talk with for like, five minutes and you know i'll just see them at like every tournament i go through that year i'll hang walk over to their table ask them how their deck is like talk for five or ten minutes that's it sometimes like at nashville like what happens at these tournaments is like you know it's 11 p.m day one ends you're like well crap i'm hungry i need to go eat some food so you're like all right who's the dinner crew so you're like you come with me to dinner you come with me to dinner they're like well can my friends come and then you know before you know it, you have this cadre of people going to applebee's and, um, you know, there's people who will join me at dinner. I have no idea who they are. There's a dude that was at dinner in Nashville who never told me his name. But, I mean, uh, next time I see him at an event, I'll uh, talk to him. And, and so with Nick, our relationship is kind of, I've seen him at some events. Like, I've said hi. He knows some friends of mine. And we know who each other are. Um, but it's really hard to, like, specifically point back to, yeah, I mean, I met Nick in fifth grade. And we were slinging, you know, blue and black spells out on the playground. It's just kind of this thing that kind of evolves over time. Okay. Well, ironically, we're so so. You say you're testing nothing standard. Are you testing anything extended, legacy, or are you just strictly working on um, the modal stuff? Uh, so I mean, besides like the, the small standard decks I've been testing for the Star City articles, mm-hmm. uh, I actually have been focusing more on extended recently, just because uh, after limited, it's the next PTQ format. And I think there's also a lot of room, right, for innovation. I have some friends who are going to Worlds, and uh, I want to make sure that they have good decks for that. Are you? Um, what are you thinking is going to be? I well, why don't we say what? What do you think is going to break out potentially in extended? Uh, I think. I mean, it's really hard to say. Extended is a tricky format, and it really depends what people are going to play. But I think the two breakout decks that maybe people aren't expecting. Um, one is five-color control, and it sounds really, like, weird to say that that's going to be a breakout deck or something, but I think a lot of people have kind of shoved it off toward the wayside. 
but I actually think it's pretty strong right now. Uh, but the other deck I think that that not as strong and people are thinking about um, that I can talk about. There's some decks I can't talk about, but one yeah. that I think you know about by now is uh, Elementals. Um, Elementals is vastly underrated. I don't think I don't think very many people are trying it at all, and it's a extremely powerful deck. Um, can anybody here name what a recent powerful elemental creature was? Uh, outside of the Roid Elemental, the one that's three and three blue, that if you put a land in the play, you gain control of target creature as long as you control him. Uh, well, or is that too uh, costly? It's element- uh, yeah, it's too costly. But keep in mind that with Elemental, for those who uh, didn't play the deck for its brief stint standard, the way it works is you basically power up quickly. Uh, you have like Incandescent Soul Stoke. Uh, you have smoke raiders, you have like supportive notions, mull drifters, and you just get this incremental advantage, but you're also a pretty fast deck. Um, to kind of like a, a mid-range, a mid-range deck that can kind of have a combo kill. Um, anyway. Is Vengevine uh, an elemental? Uh, What's? I'm yeah, trying to... Vengevine th- is an elemental. Oh, uh, boy. Yuck. So, uh, and it fits perfectly into this deck. Um, yeah. And there, you know, there's some other other new tools that I'm not going to go into too far. But the, the important thing is, is I think Elementals is really underrated. There are a lot of other decks I've been trying. Um, I'm a sucker for Revelark, but unfortunately, Revelark seems pretty poorly positioned right now. Um, Merfolk and Fairies are two of the most popular decks, and Jun are the, some of the most popular decks we've been playing. Uh, Jun's a good magic for Revelark, but Merfolk and Fairies are both abysmal. Um, uh, my kind of pet deck, if you want to call it that, is Time Thief. Um, which is awesome because Moxopol is great in that deck. And you have access to all 12 Prophetic Prisms. You have Kaleidostone, Prophetic Prism, and Elsewhere Flask available to you to extend it. Um, but unfortunately, once again, Fairies and Merfolk are both proving to be difficult opponents. But I've been tweaking my list a little bit. And I'll see if I can refine it to get it to where I want to be. I have a question um, for you. Yeah, I think extended it's an awesome format. And there would be a lot of a cool invasions at Worlds. I would definitely watch it. One thing I was going to ask, like, why do you think that, that people are underrating Five Colors so much? Because I've, I've felt the same way. But the weird thing is, is when, uh, like, the Lorwyn block rotated, Five Color was still pretty big. And it seems strange to me that, that that's totally off the radar when, when it was a pretty popular, pretty powerful deck at the time. And, I mean... You know, did they really, they haven't really lost anything. It's like they've gained some things possibly depending on, you know, what they're, what the way they're going to play it. Like, why would people be underrating that deck so much? Just not fast enough? Um, uh, well, I think that, uh, a lot of the people who are testing extended right now are testing it for worlds. And the same players who are testing for worlds were testing for Amsterdam. And in Amsterdam, uh, I think a lot of people didn't think five player control, or a lot of people thought five player control was pretty weak. And um, I think that paradigm has changed. Also, uh, traditionally, when nobody is talking about a deck, it's because everybody's working on the deck. <laughs> right. So throwing that out. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, I would expect five player control to be pretty popular. It's just a matter of what cards you're going to play. Like, do you play Jace? Do you play Bane Slayer Angel? You know, do you play Fire Spout, Day of Judgment, Volcanic Fallout? Um, like, do you play Moldrifter? There's such a wide variety of cards you can play, but I think it's an excellent 
that kind of new extended format. I think it's something that uh, a lot of players are going to have to be able to beat at the tournament. But it's weird because when you're qualified for a pro tour and you're working on a format for long enough, like, I mean, I've been working on it you know, almost tangentially. Um, but, you know, people who qualify for Worlds, I'm sure, have probably mostly figured this out uh, by now. And, you know, no, maybe no one has written about it necessarily, but I think uh, most people know what's going to be going on and their decks are going to be set up to be able to be uh, five color control if necessary. Cool. Well, I want to kind of go off the track since we're talking about really good decks and <clears throat> go to my uh, fun deck that I've been having fun with because I still believe that poison can work. It all depends on <laughs> it all depends on how you make it go and how quickly you can get to where you need to get to. Now, it's kind of rough having having Gavin here because talking about poison is probably not the thing to talk about, but I will anyways. Um, I'm running blue-black with Distortion Strike, but I also thought about throwing one other card in, and as bizarre as this sounds, it has worked well when I've tested with it, and it's Eel Umbra. One in a blue, one flash, and it gives it one, one with Totem. And the biggest problem with a lot of these poison things are that they're so easy to kill, and to be able to flash a Totem on before you kill it can also give me the opportunity to save my creature and with the live wire lash, potentially do two poison to you also. I don't know. What do you think about that, Gavin? Because I know a lot of pros are kind of like, meh, on the poison because it doesn't have a one drop that's effective. Um, I got nothing. Okay. Like, uh, no, that's fine. <laughs> So I'll say I'll, I'll say something about poison. I'll uh, I mean I don't have the full deck list in front of me, so it's hard for me to, to give any feedback. Yeah. Um. I mean I think I think it can definitely be competitive around states. I was actually kind of addicted to poison, as odd as that sounds. <laughs> and uh, I mean I tried green black poison, blue black poison, mono black poison, mono green poison. Um. And uh, I don't think the lack of a one drop actually hurts you that much because, you know, the blue black deck plays so differently from some of the other decks, and you're gonna you know, make up for it by having, like, Strumming Bird, for example. I think, I don't know, if you have it, maybe you don't. Yeah, I do but, have uh, it in there. I have it in there, too. But what I use is, um, I have Mimic Vats in there. And the thing I use that a lot of people aren't using, and this is only just because it seems like if I can stall out early game to get my guys going, I actually use Clone. Because if you pop out something on the board I can't stop, I'll clone it. Or if I'm pulling out Hand of Praetors, I can clone Hannah Praetors, and all my guys get bonus, and then it acts like a double poison hit. So that's the things I've been monkeying with with that deck. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely good avenues to take. Clones are actually particularly interesting because it just gives you another avenue to win. Like you said, sometimes somebody will maybe plop down, I don't know, like Inferno Titan or something, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, how am I going to beat Inferno Titan? Um, but Clone gives you a whole new you know, a different angle to attack from. And, yeah, maybe it's uh, not your greatest angle, but you can still navigate a way to win. And I love the blue and the poison deck just because you get to do so much more. You know, you get to interact with your opponent where the mono-green versions and the black-green versions focus so much on just killing your opponent as fast as possible. Uh, the blue version lets you take some time and set things up. Uh, do you have Soaring Sea Cliff in your build? Uh, no, but I have... It was. Uh, it's in my side deck. Or my okay. sideboard, yeah. Yeah, it's in my sideboard. I have that. And then um, also the only things I don't have in there, 
and I've been thinking about putting them in there are the the blue black manlands because I you can also use them to attack to get through and throw a distortion not distortion strike but the one that gives it one zero on infect but I almost technically have thought about using them as blockers. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you can bring them up yeah. and they're just they're another chump blocker. If I go all through, I've got something back. So Gavin, did, about. didn't you on uh, the Star City? Oh, it. go ahead. Sorry, man. Oh, sorry. We're delayed a little bit, so I can never tell when I'm interrupting. Uh, that's cool. Uh, the other thing about uh, Tripping Tarpit, I mean, besides the obvious fact that it fixes your mana, mm-hmm. is that uh, a lot of players will play against Poison in the fashion. They're like, well, Poison is just going to try and kill me quickly, so if I just trade off all my resources, I can win the long game. Uh, so let's say you just trade one for one over and over with all of your cards. Well, if you have Creeping Tarpet left over from that, I don't think it's unreasonable to just win some games off of Creeping Tarpets. You know, like, they'll have to go trade. They'll be like, all right, well, we both have no cards in your hand, but I can, you know, Tarpet you a bunch of times and maybe kill you. I played against Blue Black Poison at States, and uh, I didn't lose the match, but I came close, and his Tarpets almost just didn't hit. Well, I run four. I run four in there for the mana fixing. And also for the fact that it acts as a weapon and it can act as a defender too, which is one of the reasons why I like it. But it's it's a it's a fascinating deck for me because, like I said, it has a small pocket that it can work in. But like I said, when Poison first came out last time, I was trying to make it work before, and that's with the old enchantment that gave uh, three zero and three poison counters or whatever it was when you hit with it. it it's just a it's been a fascination of mine forever. But that's just me. <clears throat> Anybody else playing anything tangent? Um, anything? Well, like I said on the last episode, I'm I'm uh, switching to casual mode temporarily here, just to try and get some uh, some enjoyment from from the game, kind of right now. A uh, little burnout on the whole, trying to constantly hit the tournaments and stuff so I, i've been working on like edh deck well commander decks because i don't have anyone to play edh with but commander decks online and stuff and i i uh built an elf deck and and then uh i actually the avant card show had a sovra deck that they made on there and and i didn't necessarily i mean i don't like all the deck but i i love sovra as a as a general so i made a deck around that okay and alan we're still working on building you that elf deck correct woot elf deck <laughs> so what more can be said it's an elf deck i mean it it has elves that's woot is this a standard deck or an extended deck or I think we're going to try to make it standard for them. I think just the fact yeah. that you can make it so fast and have mm-hmm. so much fun with it. You know, it's nothing really ultra competitive, but it's something for him to sit there and put out this mass army in front of you. Oh yeah, well, I agree. So. Yeah, yeah, so. because because the kids that know me know I'm all about the fun. <laughs> nice. Well, um, this is the section because, oh, my God, guys, how long have we been on? Yeah. Well, we've been going on an over an hour and a half, and poor Gavin has no voice. And um, Oh, by the way, Gavin, uh, just so you know, uh, Big Head Joe wanted me to say hi, for, wanted to say hi to you uh, from Yon TG Taps. He hit me up on, on uh, 
Skyping wanted to say to make sure I said hi to you. So just I'm not forgetting you as part of my shout outs. Um also well, well, well hi Joe. How's it going? <laughs> okay. Uh, the uh other thing is is I wanna thank a lot of people for the positive feedback I've been getting on Twitter regarding the ability to do more than podcasts like event coverage and stuff like that people have been talking about. Um obviously that would be a goal of mine. I mean would I love to be at next week at World sitting next to, you know, Brian David Marshall and Rich Hagen? Absolutely. I won't lie about it. I would love it. I think it'd be great. Um, am I looking forward to going to the Grand Prix I'm going to and doing tons of interviews and maybe getting a little time on Gigi's Live? Yeah, I won't lie about that at all. And then uh, the other thing I want to plug is, is I want to thank uh, Chris, Chris Otwell and all our guests we've had so far on the Men of Magic podcast. Uh, soon we're going to have... Uh, Brian David Marshall, uh, Patrick Chapin's due to come on after Worlds. And um, we have a lot of people that are going to be coming down the line. We're going to try to do at one to two a week, uh, depending on who's available for what. And I want to thank all the people that have been supportive of that. And they're very good listen to. So if you haven't had a chance to, take a chance to listen to them. And also, I also want to thank Megan from Life on Auto. Uh, for our interview last week on Manscrew, it's gotten a lot of interesting feedback, um, especially uh, from our friend uh, John Medina talking about her pants again. And oh boy, I'm just going to leave that one alone. So tangent, shoutouts. Yeah, uh, I don't really have any this week. Uh, let's go with shoutouts to the A team because you guys have a really cool contest going on that I'm not supposed to be talking about but I'm going to anyway and uh, you should go on there listen to that and do their contest things because they're ridiculous and it's awesome and uh, other than that oh god the four spikes I always love to say what's up to them and happy birthday Chewy because I missed mentioning it uh, before other than that, uh, I don't really have a whole hell of a lot to say because it's been a really long week, and I just don't care. No offense. Gavin, you, Gavin, do you have any shout-outs? Anybody want to say hi um, to? Anyone you want to hate on? Hi, Mom. <laughs> yeah, anyone you want to hate oh. on? Um, uh, shout-out to... Uh, Patrick Chapin for being really awesome uh, and hanging out with me in Nashville. Shout out to, uh, to Aaron Forsythe for making a cool <laughs> EDH stuff. Uh, uh, shout out to Conley Woods because I hope you do well at Worlds. Yeah, I think that's good. And what, well, I'll, I'll leave it at those three people who I'm sure listen to this podcast every single week. Well, absolutely. You know, of course. That. And then also, what happened What happened with this uh, uh, thing where you got the phone call today? You tweeted about oh, that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Aaron, oh, uh, this is kind of a good story. Uh, I say kind of because I haven't told it yet, so I don't know if it's going to be a good story. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, but so, uh, so I, I'm sick, and uh, I've got a sore throat. So I, I was sleeping before this podcast trying to get some and suddenly I'm jolted awake, and I look over at my phone, and the person calling me is Aaron Forsythe. Um, 
And, like, I, I have to pinch myself. Like, I'm like, why is Aaron Forsyth calling me? Why is the director of Magic R&D giving me a call right now? Like, does he, does he want my help with something? Like, am I going to get a job offer? Like, <laughs> like what is going on? This is crazy, right? Uh, or, like, do, do, do they want me back at the, at the community stuff? Like, I'm just not sure what's happening. And so, like, I pick up the phone, and immediately he's, like, he, you know, he just starts talking about, uh, about, you know, like, he needs me to do some stuff, like, go on the computer, take care of this, that, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I assume, you know, it was for the, uh, it, it, most of it was talking about it was for the EPH release today of uh, MTG Commander. Uh, and so uh, eventually he's like, uh, wait, like, who is this? And I, like, tell him. He's like, oh, you're Gavin Verhey. I just meant to call Gavin Duggan, who is, uh, who is the judge coordinator and uh, who uh, heads up all the EDH stuff. So, um, so yeah, we had a good laugh, and Kelly Diggs told me hi, and then he hung up and presumably called uh, Gavin, the other Gavin. I got everything all sorted out. But it, it was crazy because, uh, yeah, you don't exactly get woken up in the middle of your slumber while you're sick by a uh, director of R&D very often. The fact that he had, that he had his phone number, had my phone number, his phone, that was kind of cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> He's got I you on speed dial. Cool. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that having R and D as part of your speed dial, uh, part of, you on part of your speed dial. That's actually kind of awesome. So, Alan, do you want to give out any shouts to anybody this week? Uh sure. Two shout outs. One to uh, one to Al, uh, who is our web director, web presence, and doing lots of good things for us, helping us get cards pushed. Uh, hey, do you want to repeat that real quick, man? Because it, it cut out, and I don't want that shout-out to get sure, missed. Sure, sure. Sure. My, my, my shout-out to Al, who is our web director, pushing out great cards, pg.com, and uh, one for, for my beloved Wisconsin Badgers and hoping for a Rose Bowl bid. The only way that happens, we get screwed out of that, is if if Ohio State pulls their typical shenanigans and bribes the committee and gets us out of there. So you know, I I hold nothing. I hold no punches when it comes to Ohio State because when I did coverage for them, believe me, the, the let's just say Ohio State. When you go to Ohio State, now I'm sorry for the people in Ohio listening to this, they get well paid. Trust me, there isn't a player on that team that does not get well paid. So needless to say. I would not be surprised if they're sending, you know, $1,000 bills within coaches' poll boxes to say, please vote for Ohio State in front of Wisconsin. That would not surprise me in the least. But that's just my own personal thing towards it. Sorry about that. Tangent, why don't you end the show before I go off and get suspended from every podcast on the planet? All right. Well, hey, it's been really awesome having you gentlemen on and uh, and you too, Roberto. And... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I wanted to go ahead and uh, just say thanks again for, for joining us this week. Get a hold of us at manascrewed at gmail.com. Catch us on Twitter, TangentDYN on Twitter and on Magic Online. Roberto, where can they reach you? Uh, I'm under the Beamy on, tang- on uh, Magic Online and on Twitter. And Gavin, where can they reach you at? Uh, well... You can find my articles every week on StarCityGames.com, and you can feel free to post in my forums. Otherwise, uh, you can uh, tweet it. You can tweet it. You can tweet at me at uh, Gavin Verhey, exactly like my name is. 
Uh, and uh, you can send me an email at gavintriesagain at gmail.com. Awesome. And uh, where can they find more information about Milwaukee Magic Cards and Games? Well, the easiest way would be to to join our Facebook group. Just search for Milwaukee Magic Cards and Games on Facebook. You can also find us online at milwaukeemcg.com and our ever-growing, ever-blossoming online card sales at wearerpg.com. All right, guys. And, uh, well, thanks again for joining us. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Uh, I think we're good for this week. So until next time, I'm Tangent. I'm Davimi. Or Roberto. Or whatever you want to call me this week. Uh, Feel free to jump in, gentlemen, if you want to. I'll see you next time. Awesome. And uh, we are out later. <laughs>